This is Jason Albert, and welcome to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we drill down on some recent issues at FIS. First, we discuss the recent ouster of former Secretary General Sarah Lewis, who was dismissed from her position abruptly on October 9th. We then chat about the FIS decision to postpone its fluoro ban, which was supposed to begin at the World Cup level this year. We also field a question about finding on-snow fitness about technique refinements during a year when many elite skiers have only roller skied due to a lack of on-snow opportunities. Before all that, I begin with a question having to do with a recent podcast episode we dropped for Nordic Nation, our other podcast, where Noah Hoffman and sport reformer Edwin Moses discuss empowering athletes. Okay, on to the show. They talk a little bit about unionizing and the way to build equity in sport, you know, not just from like racial equity, but like financial equity and get rid of some of the corruption is building a union and and a union not exclusive obviously to skiing but like an olympic sports union and and mostly those sports that are lower on the tier in terms of financial compensation what was the talk back when you were in the field about how to build you know increase the athlete voice and you know just a more you know powerful group and for example when it comes to healthcare basic pay things like that yeah, there was not much chat about that, you know, like we did discuss a yearly, we'd have a yearly fist meeting where some things were taken up like uh, prize money, how prize money would be split and that sort of thing. And, and you know what, fist moved on some of those things, like it used to just pay out to the top 10 and, and they have changed and now it pays out to the top 20. So the winner gets less money, but if you're 20th, you, you get paid and um, that that's a huge change. So that, you know, that they do listen to some of those types of things but the problem not the problem but the reality is it's like athletes are just in it for such a short period of time so so there's not that many like real lifers like keegan or i you know what i mean that <laughs> just won't retire yeah, yeah. right <laughs> so people are really just right. focused on performing well there and then they keep having the chances and that's what makes it tough right because like people don't really care like honestly like that's the hard thing with all sports like look at the nfl look at nba look at nhl like as, as much as it's nice to think that we're protecting the athletes, uh, that they should have a voice and blah, 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 building this, like the, the majority of athletes have very short careers in the World Cup for skiing or, or for basketball or for hockey. And it's a lot of moving parts there, you know what I mean? Like people, look at football. I mean, people just keep going back to the sport that's been proven to be horrible for brain health. Right, right. But the, the, the payout's big, you get famous, it's fun you're good at it. It's a lot of incentives to keep signing kids up for it, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, that, that, that's a tough thing. But yeah, there was some, there's some discussion. I feel like we had some things move, but then on other things that like we brought up, like the health of the technicians every single year in meetings, and they still have yet to do anything. And the solution was just a, a private sector solution where teams had to buck up and pay hundreds of thousands of euros to get their own wax trucks. So it's it's like it's it yeah it, 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 this is a this is a tough one to <laughs> yeah to to move on things. Okay, all right. So on FIS, a couple weeks ago, FIS made some news with ousting the 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 former now former Secretary General of FIS. She had been there for a long time, approximately twenty years. 
Secretary General Sarah Lewis. Originally, they posted something on their website uh, stating that there was a, a lack of confidence and she was ousted on a Friday. Uh, by Monday, they had reposted that statement and massaged it a little bit where you know, it, it was a little more benign. But the bottom line is, is that Lewis is gone and she was voted out. What are your thoughts on that? And maybe talk a little bit about her leadership when you were an athlete and beyond. Yeah, I mean, it was very shocking news, to be honest, in the fall, in a pandemic, and someone with such a breadth of experience to be ousted like that, like you said, quite quickly, um, that raises some red flags. Of course it does. And I mean, FIS has a long history of um, not being the most transparent organization in, in the world. And this is just another example where they just kind of reiterate their lack of transparency. Um, we don't really know exactly what happened. There are there are a lot of rumors surrounding uh, the oust, the ousting of, of Sarah Lewis. And what I've been hearing here in Norway, it hasn't been it hasn't been super pretty. Um, but until those become public or more substantiated, I think I'll I'll choose to to not to not share those on the airwaves. But uh, no, I, I, it was a shocking. It was a shocking development, honestly. I mean, that is a lot of experience to walk out the door, and yeah, who, who really knows? Who really knows what uh, the reasons are? As far as like my interactions with Sarah Lewis, yeah, I've talked with her a few times uh, throughout the years when she's been at championships, that sort of thing. But there's no way she knows who I am. I mean, she 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 rolls in uh, <laughs> higher elevation circles than than I did as an athlete with the Canadian team. Um, so, but, but like you said, she has, she has a lot of experience and for better or worse, I mean, she's survived a lot of scandals. Let's be honest. I mean, cross country skiing, just, just cross country skiing to take an example in the years that she has been in the executive branch of FIS had quite a few doping scandals, uh, that she lived through mm -hmm. and somehow she survived all those. Um, so she was she was a lot like Teflon for a number of years. So whatever she did must have ruffled some feathers um, in the FIS organization, or at least at the board level for them to take such a drastic measure. And, and, and the reason why I bring up a pandemic in the fall is because when you start moving people out of high level positions like that in, in the autumn, when there's so much uncertainty, not just in cross country skiing, but Alpine jumping in order to combine these executives with a lot of experience, I would imagine are are worth their weight in gold for for trying to steer an organization through through a challenging time. So it was uh, it was a bit of a shocking development, no question. And like I said, my personal experience with uh, with with Sarah Lewis is is fairly minimal. But um, you know, she worked for an organization that has a troubled history and had a troubled history while I was an active athlete and continues to make sometimes questionable decisions. So. Uh, yeah, she couldn't have done. She couldn't have done something that minor. <laughs> you know, obviously, you don't have any skin necessarily in the game anymore, but you have a lot of friends still in the sport. Fizz is, has been led by Gianfranco Casper for, gosh, it seems like literally forever, and his tenure has overlapped with Sarah Lewis. He's also, uh, you know, associated with a lack of movement when it comes to being more transparent a lack of movement when it comes to being a little more heavy-handed in terms of dealing with doping. And sanctioning a country like Russia in cross-country skiing 
uh, or in the Nordic sports can have some consequences because they are a big player. They're one of the major countries. It's certainly if you look at the past, you know, the results the past few years. Um, but that said, Casper is slated prior to COVID to, to already, I believe, had to have stepped down. But he that was postponed to sort of just kind of get through this period. Um, what would you be looking for in leadership right now from FIS? Thinking of, you know, something we've talked about a bit, just more modern, uh, a more modern presence when it comes to television broadcast and just transparency and leadership. Yeah, you know, this is a tough, this is a tough situation. I don't know if uh, if Casper is uh, good buddies with Seth Blotter from FIFA that was involved in that giant corruption scandal in 2015 where his reputation got run through the mud. But it seems like they're cut from the same cloth because they, like you said, Casper, especially lately, recently, has, has made some just outlandish comments that, that are is just shocking that he's kept his job um, through those recent, well, I mean, he's going to step down and retire, as we all know, but um, through those scandals, same as Sarah Lewis, uh, you know, doping, other issues, no problem. Uh, they just keep on trucking, um, which is really disappointing, honestly. Uh, and I think it, it, sends a, it sends a bad message um, to the world at large when you have leadership that, that doesn't take seriously items such as doping in sport, which is a huge deal in cross-country skiing. The reason why I say it's a huge deal in cross-country skiing is because, remember, cross-country skiing isn't FIFA, right? There's not money flying around. It's not like everybody's loaded. And, okay, Set Bladder takes a little bit more cash than, than the rest or takes some payouts here and there. I mean, in cross-country skiing, uh, the best skiers in the world make a, a very good living. Uh, solid skiers can scrape by and, you know, maybe pay the rent or, or a mortgage or something. But the vast majority of them are, you know, not making much money. Let's just put it that way. And doping is, is fraud straight up. And when you have leadership making statements like Casper's made in the past, and then also just sitting on his hands through, through this Russian debacle, which has just gone on forever, uh, it, it's incredibly disappointing. It, it's it's shockingly disappointing. I can't believe that he's been able to hold on to his position in leadership for all for all this. It's 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 madness. So moving on into the future, I take it we, again. We have to wait and see what the issue exactly is with Sarah Lewis. Based on Fitz's history, I'm not sure we will ever get to see what that is or hear what that is. But. Uh, they are taking some sort of accountability behind closed doors if you're getting rid of getting rid of uh, executives, and I hope that they they learn from their mistakes. I'm not quite sure that FIFA has learned from <laughs> from their mistakes with with soccer. That's the World uh, Soccer Organization with that whole disaster in 2015 that I keep alluding to. Um, but I hope that in 2020 and moving forward, new leadership will be more transparent in FIFA this can try and pivot to be more transparent. And, you know, in the past, when we've talked, Jason, I've, I've brought up uh, the IAAF, which has had its scandals through the, through the years. And, and while I, I applaud Sebastian Coe a lot with how he's handled Russia and that whole thing, uh, it's easy for the IAAF to take a stronger stance with Russia because it's such a global sport. And quite frankly, if, if Russian athletes aren't at a championship en masse, it, it doesn't hurt their sponsorship um, 
abilities, gaining gaining sponsorship to pay for these events. But at the uh, cross country skiing, like you alluded to, the biggest market for cross country skiing in the world it is Russia. It is not Norway. Everyone thinks it's Norway, but no one lives in Norway. You know, <laughs> right. there's a there's a shade over five million people. Yeah, you're right. All those five million people buy fifteen thousand pairs of skis, and the GDP in Norway is through the roof. And everyone knows about the oil fund here and the sovereign wealth fund, blah blah blah. But the fact of the matter is, Russia has over 100 million people. It's a winter country. Cross-country skiing is a popular sport. You can, there's a lot of cross-country skiing available right in Moscow or on the outskirts of Moscow, which is a huge major city, their capital. So so uh, for sure, FIS has, uh, it's been a tough balancing act as we've seen. And I think they just haven't wanted to, to be heavy-handed with Russia or, or really they've been a, there's been a lot of apathy surrounding that whole Russian issue just because the number one market for for cross-country skiing has, has been Russia. And, and, and I mean, you just look at all the doping scandals in the last 25, 30 years, and it's just absolutely unbelievable that that no leadership has lost their jobs at FIS over the disaster that has been uh, how FIS handled cross-country skiing. Yeah, I have to say it's like, it is interesting to me, and maybe it's not shocking that these entities, even small like FIS, and then you think, you know, broaden it to like the US government, how difficult it is uh, to reset. So difficult to reset and just be like, okay, you know what? We didn't do this right. We're going to write this wrong. And here's how we're going to move forward. And that that is, sort of, as I age, just sort of something that's shocking to me, how it seems like in most of these entities, uh, there's more of a propensity to dig in than essentially... Yeah, like I said, reset. So anyway, yeah, keep, yeah. It's so it's just so disappointing because this shouldn't be this big a deal. This shouldn't be that hard to do. It shouldn't be that hard to restructure your organization to make it more transparent and make it more accountable, especially on the heels of all the scandals that this has gone through. And and, and easy fixes, and I know I'm I'm oversimplifying, that's what we do. Uh, that's what armchair critics do. But <laughs> something as simple something as simple as term limits for leadership at this would go a long way. I mean, if you could say you had a ten year term limit as the as the boss of this, for example, or or the executive committee has term limits at this and, and expand that to the IOC, I think you'd you'd start to to see that that could have an impact on on accountability. And on the transparency piece, yeah, that's what's that's what's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to believe that this has really moved at all in, with regards to transparency. From I, I would um, argue that they haven't moved whatsoever. Uh, but maybe like the glaciers of the Alps, uh, there is movement. It's just you can't see it day to day. But when you take it as a whole in thirty years or forty years, you can see that it's it's moved a lot. Uh, I, I, that's a hope, but. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, this has been a bit of a disappointing um, organization for me as as an ex-athlete and as an athlete too, just in how they've handled. Is that, you know these scandals we're talking about with doping or or the waxing, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit here with fluoros and that sort of thing. There's just been an inertia that has been absolutely flabbergasting, and it's not just like it happens once and then there's a change. I mean. You know, Larissa Lazutino got caught for doping a long time ago now. You know what I mean? And some of Elena Valde's teammates got 
tip for doping, and, and this was a generation back in the 80s, and early 90s, and yet we still have the same uncertainty surrounding uh, the program, especially the Russian program uh, in cross-country skiing. And again, the fact that no, no leadership has changed in FIS and, and no, yeah, that inertia has just been, I mean, if I was a big company with a lot of money and, and I dug in a little, dug into the leadership structure of FIS and saw that through all these scandals, there's been no personnel changes and no directional changes. I mean, I would, I would close my purse strings too and, and support something else. Okay. So like for better or for worse, and maybe this is a positive move, you know, Flora, uh, FIS had uh, made a, a lot of noise about reforming wax protocol uh, for this race season across the board in terms of their disciplines. And although FIS does not oversee biathlon, the IBU also decided to ban fluoros about a month ago. It was obviously very clear, probably even beyond a month ago, say several months ago, that the fluoro detecting device that was supposed to operate on some very you know specific parameters to detect fluoros on ski bases wasn't uh, functioning properly. And so they moved ahead and postpone the fluoro ban for a, a year. So it will become active in the 2021-2022 season, which will be an Olympic year. Who knows whether fluoros will be banned at the Olympics? We'll see. That said, you know the environmental concerns in terms of fluoros are still around. So that hasn't gone away. What's the chatter going on in Norway and in Europe about this? Yeah, in Norway especially and in Europe as well. And I, I've talked with with the WAC staff from from various various teams, not just the national team level, but also like the level down here. I mean, it's a farce. There's no other way to put it. It's, it's an absolute farce. Uh, I think their heart was in the right place, honestly, with the with the fluoro ban. In the sense, we talk about the environment, and yes, of course, burning burning fluorocarbons uh, into a ski base at 180 degrees Celsius isn't great. But what's probably worse then that is uh, is of course um, <laughs> the health of the staff that are standing over the said fluorocarbons being burnt into ski bases for 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Um, and that, so it, for the health of the, the wax staff, uh, it, it's a great move to ban fluoros. But when you don't have a test that is reliable, and again, you're not transparent with all the teams, as teams are like rejigging and cleaning their wax trucks and changing parts in their wax trucks and everyone's stressed because how little fluoro can be on a ski before it tests positive and there's all this secrecy around the test and then there becomes rumors that the test isn't working and as the days roll by here and summer turns to the autumn and the days become shorter and and you have teams scrambling to to rejig everything and then just right at the last second in october you say uh, psych, uh, our test is garbage, like it has been garbage since the beginning. And we're going to ban this, or so we're going to, you know, delay this ban for, for 12 months and see if we can get our shit together. I mean, like, <laughs> come on, Fis. Uh, that, I, think, I think it was a huge miss all around. But at the end of the day, for the integrity of skiing, at least for this season here, the 2020-2021 season, the fact that the ban has been quote unquote lifted or put on ice um, means for fair racing. Because if you have fluoros under your skis 
or you have no way of testing if people are using fluoros and you're trying to have the honor system in a World Cup competition where the margins are so thin, it would be an absolute disaster and people will cheat. And you can call, you know, you can tell me like, oh, you're so pessimistic of uh, human nature, but there's just a lot on the line and fluoros make that big a difference. They just do especially in warmer conditions and with climate change and what we've been witnessing if you just go the trends from the 60s up to now. I mean, winters are shorter and warmer, and that's when fluoros shine. So it's um, you'll have fair racing, that's for sure. Um, but FIS really missed, missed the boat on this, and I, I wish they would have kept all the national teams in the loop through this whole process so they could have been a bit more prepared. Uh, or at least could have followed the trend and being like, you know what, this plural ban isn't going to happen, and then everyone would just relax and get ready for the season as normal. Yeah, to get a little more granular about this, and and, and you and I have chatted about this a, a bit. So back in July fourth, the EU has ban- effectively banned uh, PFOA or C8 fluoros, which are an eight chain fluoro compound, which you know by all. Uh, anecdote, you know, people who have tested wax for years, the C8, the longer chain fluorocarbons are more effective at repelling dirt and water than the shorter chain C6 fluoros. It, it does stipulate in, in the FIS uh, press release that waxers need to adhere to EU law. So that would essentially mean, the way I read that, is that they're not supposed to use waxes you know, top coats, et cetera, with C8 or PFOA, uh, despite the fact that I think, again, they seem to be more effective than what's currently available on the market. I'm sure people in the industry might give me an eye roll there, but I, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, they wouldn't. That, they wouldn't give you an eye roll. You're absolutely right. But that said, like, you know, that's another one. That's really, again, you're operating on the on the trust system here that, okay, well, every, you know, every nation's going to be using C6 compounds and not C8s. I mean, is that too just like a, fa- a fallacy at least for a year? Oh, completely. It's a complete fallacy for a year. When FIS lifts a ban and says that, like, there won't be a ban on fluorocarbons from us because we can't test it, um, an EU regulation. I don't think any waxing team is worried that there's going to be an absolute sting operation in Ruka in a little over a month here where EU regulators in the middle of a pandemic are going to descend and and raid every single waxing truck that's in the start pen. It's just not going to happen. Um, So no one's going to adhere to these EU rules because again, there's no enforcement. And, and and people know that, and especially in a pandemic, because quite frankly, just having a World Cup in a pandemic or even just preparing for a championship in a pandemic is just this mammoth operation. It's, it's insane to, to think about how you're going to be able to get this off the ground, let alone, let alone have regulatory stings that are going to be taking place throughout Europe for Nordic skiing. It's, it's just... Once the ban's been lifted, it's just going to be a free-for-all, just like it has been every single year of my career and going back to the beginning of cross-country skiing, which is you know now almost a 100-year history in as an Olympic sport. So, yeah, it's, it's just going to be fair game. And, and like I said, really too bad in the sense that I think the health of the, the staff and the people working in the industry, um, not having fluoros is better all around, period. If we didn't use fluoros, it's a win. 
The problem becomes, if there's no way to test that, then quite frankly, it does become not a gray situation. It's black and white. You either allow it or you don't, and without without a proper test. And without that, I mean, yeah, because the U.S., it's banned also in the U.S. now. It's not banned in China. It's not banned in Russia. And I mean, like, your, your quote-unquote laws are only as good as the enforcement, sadly. Especially when it comes to, to um, performance at the highest level, like the World Cup. And uh, I think we're just going to see skis that are just as fast as they were last season. And um, uh, like I said, it'll just make for a little fair competition, so which is which is fine for this year. And hopefully in a year, FIS can, can get their engineers or whoever is working for them to, to, to have a test that, that is reliable. Okay, so let's, let's make a pivot here. Uh, I just want to go over a question that relates to uh, Gavin, who writes for Faster Skiers based up in Anchorage. Um, wrote a story, uh, I think I posted it uh, last week, and it has to do with the, the lack of on-snow training for North American athletes, and specifically U.S. athletes. And just interviewing some athletes, interviewing some coaches, and talking about what might be the ramifications of a lack of on snow training that said i mean it's fairly typical for north americans to not be on snow however you know historically these athletes for the u.s ski team and i know canada used to come down to bend you know you'd spend a couple weeks and bend on snow in may um the alaska-based uh, national team skiers uh and apu skiers are up on the eagle glacier one month or one week per month for June, July, and August. Um, so New England athletes head often to New Zealand at the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, I know that the Craftsbury Green Racing Project had athletes on the Dockstein Glacier last year. So there's been opportunities to get on snow due to COVID and obvious reasons. That's not happening. What you know, what do you foresee the consequences being in terms of like, say, snow fitness or or more importantly, maybe just techniques and tweaking, um, tweaking your classic or skate technique to, to gain, you know, 0.8% greater efficiency, which might be, you know, 10 seconds in a race, which could be quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think the answer is a little bit like... Uh like I alluded to with, with change in general, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of change in, in, in a short term, year to year. I mean, athletes like Jesse Diggins or Sophie Caldwell or Simi, uh, Simi Hamilton, I mean, they've been racing for a long time. They've got a lot of kilometers in their, in their body. Um, their technique has, has evolved, of course, throughout their career, but they are, they're at a very high level, even tech, and technically as well. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of lost opportunity there i think where you start to see small issues is if you go back and you look at how Teresa yohug was skiing at 18 or you look at how jesse diggins was skiing at 18 and now you look at both of those athletes now as they have improved their technique substantially but like you said from the ages of 18 to the mid-20s if you're jesse or, or in or over 30 with Teresa, they've had a lot of opportunities to do on snow training at different various points of the year that have really helped, and that's that summer training we're talking about. So I think it's going to affect maybe the younger the younger skiers a little more, sadly, and and it's something that we probably won't see till a couple of years down the line. 
Um, and that said, you, you know, here in Norway, they have access to, to ski tunnels. Sognefjella, which is a summer ski area, has had been open the, this whole season. So the Norwegian athletes and then some club athletes have had, had access to that as, as in years past. Um, so time will tell with the Americans and then the Canadians. But like I said, from the highest level, I don't think it's going to have that much to say with the, with the experienced athletes. But I think if, if you look down to athletes that are, you know, in that 18 to 22 range and in a development level, um, you know, one year without it probably isn't the biggest of deals. But if you start going to be four years without it or five years without it, and then you have a whole development crop that doesn't have those opportunities. And they start last story. I'm sorry to say uh, the most, most, young athletes in Canada and the U.S. have poorer technique than European counterparts at the same age. Um, and it's not going to help them make up that gap, sadly. So, that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> again, we're going to have to wait and see. But at least in the short term for those uh, Canadian and, and American ski fans, I don't think you're going to see Sophie Caldwell um, struggling because she didn't get skiing this summer or, or Jesse Diggins or, or Sadie or or Simi, or, or even Daria Beatty in Canada, or, you know, I think, I think that should be okay. Did, did, when you were working on sort of modifying your technique, uh, back in the day and, you know, you were maybe having some, some, you know, you get on snow here in Bend, maybe you go to a glacier in Canada over the summer, maybe you top over to Europe. For you, was there any difficulty in, sort of transferring snow to roller ski back to snow, maybe back to roller ski and back to snow at all? Not a whole lot, but I mean, anybody that tells you that you can work on your technique perfectly aligned on roller skis as, as you can on skis is high on crack because <laughs> the fact of the matter is skiing is skiing and roller skiing is roller skiing. And, and just, just a cloud, like take classic, for example. I mean, everyone talks about the ratchet, but it's true. I mean, how, how the ratchet quote unquote kicks is, is a far cry from, from classic skiing through soup in March on the world cup in home and colon, you know, it's just it's a completely different feel. Uh, and, and even skating, which is maybe quote unquote, a little bit easier to transfer over. I mean, it's kind of simple physics. I mean, roller skis are short and heavy, <laughs> you know? So, so what's the, what's the balance point? What's that pivot? with the binding and how it connects to your foot now the boot and then a road is freaking hard and snow is moving under you and there's a lot of different moving parts so I didn't struggle a whole whole lot going from one to the other but as a younger athlete when I didn't have opportunities to go to New Zealand or the glacier as much as I have and and that sort of thing for sure I mean it takes time when those I remember getting to Silver Star in, in the autumn in, in early November and I haven't, I hadn't skied in a number of months. And I mean, yeah, for sure. You don't feel, you don't feel good on your feet. And I think, um, you know, that's a big reason why European countries put a lot of weight on that last training camp before the season. Yes, it's at altitude as well. So that helps them in other ways, but uh, you know, the, the Norwegians or the Swedes or, or the Swiss or the Finns will go to Valsinalis, for example, or the French are up in Ting if they can, if the Ting is open and, and Austrians are up in Dachstein and that sort of thing. It's, it's just to get some kilometers into your legs and get that feel for the technique. So when that period one comes, you have, you have a base of, of kilometers in your actual sport to start the year with. And, uh, you know, I think there is something to be said with that, if you can make that happen. And, and, you know, um, the, the North Americans this year are, are in the same boat as a lot of Europeans. I mean, not all the Europeans have been able to have uh, a normal 
normal uh, prep prep season as they as they have previously. And there's just so many question marks regarding this season and moving forward. Okay, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, you can email them to jason at fasterskeeter.com or devin at fasterskeeter.com.